And we are live back with another episode of Shifting the Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the autism sage yourself, Mama Baden. Oh, and Ryan's here too. <laughs> yes, I am here this week. Miracle, I know. He decided to grace us with his presence. He couldn't be bothered the last, I don't know how many episodes, because I don't, I don't release them in the order that they're recorded. But in real time, it's been a few weeks. I'm glad that you're here. Always, and Ryan's here too. Um, and today's a good day. Today's a good day. We have a beautiful sunshine today. I love it when the sun is shining. Um, I'm excited because we, and I'm glad that you're here, Ryan, because you're going to be able to participate in part two of our um, Q&A. And uh, I had a, more questions. Uh, we did part one and there were more questions. And then I had other questions submitted afterwards. So we are going to just answer some questions. Uh, inquiring parents want to know. Uh, yes. Do you have anything to say about the previous uh, part one, Torin? Uh, it was fun. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm very narcissistic, so I love talking about myself. That's why I do a podcast. So I had a good time. But on a serious note, I hope I hope it came out this week. I really hope it helps somebody, helps some parents. Um, my experience isn't quite typical to, well, what is a typical autistic experience? But mine is a bit atypical even to what most autistics are going through. Mm -hmm. So hopefully with Ryan here today, we can get more of a diverse opinion and diverse sort of range of experience. Because mm -hmm. what's the saying? If you know one autistic, yes. you know one autistic, something along those lines. Exactly. And, you know, just the reality that everyone's experience and perceptions are different because everyone's individual, even if you have, you know, um, everybody's experiences are different, even if you're in the same environment. So I am going to get with the first question. I'm going to start light. We've got a couple of heavy questions here today. Oh, I love the heavy ones. So yeah, I let's start light. I'm going to start, <laughs> I'm going to start light. Um, uh, my parents Ooh. would would like to know um, if you could share some of the techniques you use as an adult to self-regulate and uh, do you have any stems or do you remember your stems from childhood? And then I'm going to add on to that question. If you can share the things that you used to self-regulate, what did that look like when you were younger? How did you self-regulate when you were younger compared to how you self-regulate now as older? So I'm going to throw that added layer and you guys can you resonate. Want to go first, Ryan? <laughs> I have to think about this for a second. So okay, you got go. it, go. Um, <laughs> well, for me, to answer your question, your part of the question first, Stacey, looking back, obviously when we were younger, like we're, we're, I'm 30, Ryan's about to turn 30. We were autistic in an era where like self-regulation didn't exist. And like stimming didn't exist, all that stuff. We were just doing involuntary. We were just doing ticks, mm -hmm. and we should be giving medication to stop doing the ticks because they're bad. That's how it was viewed. Mm -hmm. But in hindsight, yeah. my self-regulation stems have always kind of been the same. Uh, I listen to a lot of music that helps me get both in the zone before and after things take a lot of smooth. I listen to a lot of music before this podcast, for example. I'll listen to music uh, after sometimes. I will listen to music in the morning so I get myself not only woken up, but sort of regulated for the day. So for me, listening to music, as for stims, my number one stim is that this doesn't have a audio format. This doesn't have a visual format, but I rub my, my hand over my head uh, 
which for whatever reason that I've always done that. I didn't even notice I did it until like 10 years ago, a friend of mine pointed out that I did it. I'm like, I think I've kind of always done that. So I've kind of mm-hmm. always had the same stims. I've gotten lucky that like that particular stim is relatively minor. So it's sort of, no one's really had a problem with it or most people hadn't even noticed it because it's a relatively minor stim, especially because I've learned how to mask it, like pretend like I'm scratching my head if I have if I have a, a hat on or something like that. And if I'm listening to music, I start doing it more because that's, it, 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 there's certain, I don't want to say enjoyment that sounds a little perverted, but y'all get what I mean. So it does that's, not sound perverted. So that's, I, I guess it's just something wrong way, I think. That's sort of what I've always done. I don't think there's really been any changes. I've had not self-regulating. I've had like poor self-regulation where I just didn't do the things I should have. But I've always done it. I've always listened to music, get regulated. I've always, think back even before high school, I'd have the same routine. Wake up, listen to some music, get ready to go. Uh, the head rubbing thing I've done as long as I can remember. So it, it's pretty much been the same for as long as I can remember. All right. Well, there you go. It's funny, Torn, because I remember when I recognized that that was your stem. Because initially, I was like, oh, this Torin's, Torin, I was like, it's so odd that Torin rubs his head and there's no hair. And then when I started watching, I was like, oh, I think it's a stem. In my goes, defense, I used to have hair. I started going bald in the <laughs> high school, which sucks. But in my defense, I didn't even want to have hair. But yes, I basically don't have hair now. I have to keep it very, very short because I'm going bald, like an old. I look like I'm forty. Look mm-hmm. like I'm forty-five. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've I've done it for. I can't tell you how long I've done it because, like I said, it only got pointed out to me like ten years ago. Yeah. So I'm going to share with the listeners because they can't see from my viewpoint, and then I'll let Ryan answer. Um, for perspective viewers, when Torin rubs his head, it appears from the onlookers' viewpoint that he is rubbing his head in thought. Like that's what it appears that you're doing. So I can understand how that would seem very typical or naturalistic, right? So no one brings alarm or attention to it to make you stop because it is something that you would see a guy do, right? Or girls flip their hair, but you'll see guys like rub their head when they're in thought. So just wanted to give the listeners perspective that you mentioned masking. I think that you probably... I'm just guessing, I have no idea, but over time you probably made adjustments so that people didn't say anything. And now it just looks like a natural rubbing your head in thought. I'm, I'm, I'm sure subconsciously mask. I definitely did mm-hmm. because there's just certain, there's certain uh, stems that we, once again, we can call it stems, mm-hmm. but there's certain movements you just kind of learn as you get older or socially inappropriate mm-hmm. and you just you don't do them at the wrong times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the way Torin says that. You say that all the time, Torin. There's socially inappropriate behaviors, and you don't do them all the time. You say it like it's so easy for us to self-control. You you must have really good self-control. I think I'm socially inappropriate a lot, and maybe I just don't care. Oh no, right. I, I I don't. Not at all. It's just I'm a dude. So when you're a dude, I know. And when you're a guy, you just kind of say stuff. People are like, oh, he says it like it is. I like when a female does that, then she's a bitch. Yeah. And and I will say, uh, just to, you know, I'm always trying to make things teachable moments. I think that it's a very valid point for listeners to those of you who may have not heard before. I've heard you mention it, Torin, that 
as a tall black male in America, there are certain movements and gestures you learn to quickly adjust because it will call the wrong attention. Um, so that's something I'm quite sure that culturally um, impacts our kids as well. All right, Ryan. Well, this one's kind of hard to answer. I do kind of have this little routine in the morning to try to get myself ready, especially for work, where when I get up, I have to eat breakfast right away. It's kind of weird, but if I don't do it, I just end up grumpier. I thought that's just because we're fat asses. <laughs> no, that, I, that might just be a routine I made for myself and didn't realize it. There's a lot of things I didn't realize I was doing in high school. I'm going to use that from now on. The reason I shoved my face so much is because I'm stimming. No, I no, I don't lack impulse control. No, I'm not obese. <laughs> I'm, it's stimming, and I have all of this adipose stimming tissue. That's what that is. Well, actually, eating can be a stim. There are several kids that eat and use eating as a stim. Um, and it is very hard to, to, uh, to it's, it's hard to change. Um, but there are kids that, that no, do keep that. going, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan, Ryan, what, do you, what do you do, Ryan, when you feel like you're going to be overwhelmed? I mean, all of us at some point, you know, feel overwhelmed. But what do you do when you feel overwhelmed in situations, or what do you do to regulate yourself, just in terms of whether it's getting through the day or if there are stressful times, like job interviews or. It really depends on the situation. If I'm like, if there's a stressful event at work and I can't like get away, mm -hmm. I'll just have to like stop for a moment, take a few deep breaths, try to regulate myself just for that bit. Mm -hmm. And if there's a chance I can get away, such as a break, or if I'm not doing anything, I'll find a corner where no one is and just kind mm -hmm. of decompress. Yeah. Yeah. Usually I'll put on like music or something, or I'll just put on my earbuds, listen to something on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Just try to get away from people. So both of you gave examples of listening to music. And now we have technology where, you know, children and kids and adults have access to, you know, not in the Walkman days when I was a kid, right? So everybody has access to listening to music at any time on devices. What would you say for parents who sometimes, so the dilemma is the parents we accept and understand they need that for regulation, right? Total music. I mean, I use music for regulation all the time and it's a very good um, a way to regulate yourself. However, when a child needs it a lot and parents feel like for hours after, like they can't even like get a direction in, right? They're not, they're just, I need, I need my music. I need my music. I need to block everything out. But at the same time, yes, the parents understand. We know why they need it but we still have to take a shower, right? We still have to get our homework. Like, so we have to figure it out. Um, or is it a teenager? So I guess my question is, what advice would you give to parents to help them make sure that their children are not being typical teens and just taking advantage of, I need my music for sensory, so now I'm gonna not do my chores and homework for three hours, or that it is, I don't know, but those are the kind of things that I get. Those are the things that come so to me. How, how do you how do you make sure a teenager isn't just being a teenager? Well, how do you for, balance that they, they need well, it for sensory, but they're not taking advantage of the fact that they need it for sensory? I could have said well, that. In the homework beginning. is a scam. We can just ignore that. <laughs> homework is a total scam. Doesn't do anything. <laughs> what do you think? Because I I. I 
you know, and, and I, I need to not, um, I need to ask my, my own children if I can share stories about them. So I guess I'll just stop here. But it is something that a lot of parents will say, you know, well, they just come home and say they need their music, right? And then four hours later, they're like, but I needed my music. And so I'm trying to respect that they need to regulate, but we still have not gotten homework and shower done. And we all have to go to bed, right? Like we've got to get through the day. Well, so what I, do you- well I may or may not have walked into the shower before with my headphones on several times, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I think a big, and a disclaimer, neither me or Ryan are parents. I personally mm-hmm. don't plan on being a parent. I, I can't speak for Ryan. <laughs> but so we we, we're, we can't come at this from a parental thing. We can only come at it from personal. I would say if a child is, or a teenager in this case, is constantly in need of the music, I need the music, I need the music, I need the music, they're probably dysregulated. There's, yes, there's a potential, they're just taking advantage of it. But at the same time, something like that to the point where they're not doing things, basic things like showering mm-hmm. might be a sign of dysregulation more than just trying to take advantage. Mm-hmm. What I would suggest is for things like showering, I'm going to get the homework separately. Homework's a tough one because they could be just trying to get out of it because like Ryan said, homework is BS. Yeah. So, but things like showering or eating and stuff like that, loose tooth speakers are a thing. They've been a thing for quite some time. Mm-hmm. They're relatively cheap. I have one right next to me. It cost me like 20 bucks that mm-hmm. I take into the shower with me because most Bluetooth speakers are waterproof. They're mm-hmm. made for showers so people can listen to music and stuff while mm-hmm. taking a shower. Mm-hmm. So Bluetooth speakers are a really good option. You can get them literally any like any store that sells electronics, Target, Walmart, Best Buy, all of them. They can be as cheap as $20. And the really good ones are up to $200, but those are like mm-hmm. the ones that like sound have like surround sound. But they're very inaffordable, they're very inexpensive. They're almost all of them are waterproof. Make sure they're waterproof. Almost all of them are waterproof, even the cheaper RAM ones. They can take that in the shower, listen to music. They can listen to music while doing homework. If they're able to focus, for example, I need to listen to music to be able to write or do work mm-hmm. or do anything. Like when I'm editing, I'm listening to music because it helps me focus. So that could be a solution. As for doing homework, I kind of don't know what to tell you, if I'm being honest. I'm not going to even try to speculate. When I had that issue, my thing was... I would do the, I I never had issues per se with homework. I would do the best I can. I'm I'm not a good example academically because I was someone where I kind of had an idea of what the next, what I needed to do to pass. So if I was in a class where I knew I could probably, I knew what percentage of the grade was from homework. Mm-hmm. I knew I could pass without get, doing much on the homework. I just wouldn't do much of it. Yeah. So I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not a good person to speak on it. So maybe Ryan has some more insight because that's not great advice. Saying don't do like they don't got to do the homework if they can still pass the class. That's not good advice. So Ryan, give us give us something better. Well, you you know what I uh, and Ryan, I, I I I'm sure you have something to say. I would love your perspective, Ryan, on the flip side of that in terms of. You said that music was so was helpful for you. Do you find that music is helpful even for you, like working on the job or studying for exams or like, is it helpful? Because a lot of times parents wonder, they just wonder, right? Like, I don't want them to not get their regulation, but are they able to do their work at the same time? So that's one of the- I can't. 
Mm-hmm. I can't. Straight up, I can't. Yeah. I can't really do much mm-hmm. when there's music playing in the background. It's, yeah. it's too distracting. It actually does the opposite for me. Gotcha. And touring, you're able to work. Focus. I'll put on the radio and I'll just have it on some random station. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't do that at all. The war, like I can't do that at all. I will not be able to focus at all. So sometimes I just have to turn the radio off or put it on to like sports talk radio or something that's not really distracting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would distract me instantly. I would not be able to focus. I have to have like some sort of. I can listen to like lyrics and music and stuff, but I can't listen to anything that like involves me having to listen too deeply to get what they're mm-hmm. trying to say. Like I've tried writing while listening to like baseball games on the radio and that's just impossible. I I, yeah. I I can't do it. So I guess it's different strokes, different folks. Yeah. I am a, um, I get immersed in auditory information so I can't do music because I get immersed in it and actually complete a task. Um, well, let's get to the I, next question. I will, I will, I will, I will. Oh, hey, I didn't finish yet. Ah, go Ryan. Come on now, slow it down. You guys got your time. Well, we're say, well, we're saying you're finished. No, I'm just kidding. You can go, go, go. Go, Ryan. I will, I will find a way to mute your mic. Okay, don't play me. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I made this routine for myself. Whenever I come home from work, I will instantly shower and get food, so I don't really have much else to do the rest of the night. I can just sit and chill and play games or whatever. And that might be a strategy that some parents could incorporate. Mm-hmm. Like, look, I know you need this, but Let's try getting the important stuff out of the way first so you don't have to do it later. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that will work for everyone, but it's definitely something to try. Mm-hmm. I, I tell parents to give kids a chance. If they say they can do it, let them demonstrate it. And if they can't, then you get to make a new boundary. But if they can listen to music and clean up their room and, and empty the garbage and do their chores, check, 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 they can listen to their music. But if they struggle, we have to maybe look at doing something differently like your method, which is reasonable as well. Get it done, then music. Yeah. You might also just have to trust that they're not blowing the tasks off. Mm-hmm. They may have just had a really bad day. You just don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And so you have, there's a certain level of trust involved. You can't just ever assume they're ignoring the work or that'll just create a wedge. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point, Ryan. I And, you know, I think, Ryan, the struggle is parents probably do know and are aware that it's been a rough day at school and their kids probably do need that four to five hours. But unfortunately, the kids have to get up and go back to school the next day. And so the parents are under this rigorous schedule, which is you know why I love homeschool, because it gives kids the option to not have to get to that point. But I will segue to the next question that Torin is eagerly awaiting for, because he wants something deep. Are you ready, Torin? Are you ready? Oh, whatever, whatever order you want to put it in, I'm, I'm good for whatever. All right. So let's look at um, when did you all realize a shift in your social skill um, uh, capacity, capabilities? Like when did you realize, because I've heard you, and I know maybe they've heard you say, Torin, you've said, oh, you know, I, I learned, right, based on this, that I needed to do this. Or so do you guys remember some poignant moments where you felt like you were getting the hang of the game that is played in our social world? <laughs> no, that, that's an easy one. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hate to say that because it sounds so negative. So I know parents are hoping their kids will be able to make friends and stuff, and they will. Mm-hmm. But 
I've spoken with many autistics, both in real life and online. I've worked with a bunch of them. Most of us, the vast majority of us, never really get the hang of the social thing. It's always kind of awkward for us. Mm-hmm. And our best bet is we usually then fall in with people who are usually a little awkward themselves. And we find like-minded individuals. So your child can definitely make friends and stuff. But you never really get the hang of it. You just, the older you get, once you're old enough, you you screw up enough times that you can screw pretty much everything up that you can screw up. And I'm still not at that point yet. But I've made, I've made quite up. a few that's, screw that's, ups. Yeah. And you, you just kind of learn from them. And that, that's sort of the best I can say. You, you never really get it, at least in my opinion. I want to share a brief story about this because I think it's relevant. It was freshman year of college. It was just me the whole freshman year. I didn't really know anyone. And there was one day where a couple of guys on my floor invited me to a house party. Normally, I didn't really want to go to this kind of stuff, but I went anyway and ended up being a lot of fun. So I think that may have been like the moment where I started to get a hang of the whole social thing, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like just little moments like that, just mm-hmm. trying to go out and talk to new people and stuff. Mm-hmm. That was my chef moment. No. And I, I think what I'm hearing from both of you is that when there is an internal motivation to shift and make changes, we do. So if you end up not being able to navigate the social world, but you're not that motivated, then more than likely you'll be fine not shifting and making changes. So that was- But the thing is, and I want to make it clear, Ryan had friends before college. Thing is, me and Ryan went to the same college. He was a year ahead of me. Went to I, I actually went to his, I went the college I chose was because Ryan was there. Because we, it was like 600 miles away from New York City, upstate New York, near Canada, a uh, place we refer to as Whitelandia. Mm-hmm. That's that's an official name. No, it's not. But so we didn't know a lot of people. Like I said, I chose to go there because I knew Ryan. Ryan went before me, so he knew nobody. We had friends, especially Ryan. Ryan had a whole social group. When I met him, he was part of a whole social group in high school, but none of them left the city. Mm-hmm. because most of them never left their parents' house, if I'm just being honest. So when Ryan went up there, he was making, he was doing a leap of fate where he knew nobody. He was in a different environment with a different culture, because up there is very rural and mm-hmm. very conservative, and you have a lot of small towns, and it's just a different environment compared to Brooklyn, Manhattan, where we're from, where mm-hmm. it's built up and fast and everything like that. So for both of us, there was a culture shock. So that was a big moment for Ryan because the first time he was able to talk to some people that were completely new. He had to make all new friends, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But th- that this is a nice segue into one of the questions. Um, someone would like to know, um, is it important for my child to be friends with other autistic children, or should I only let them, or should I only expose them to make friends with neurotypical children so they can learn social skills? Um, and that's a really good question because I do have a lot of parents where there's conflict, where one parent wants them to go to a certain situation because they think if we drop them in the middle of non-autistic children, they will learn to be not autistic, which does not work. Um, but um I also have heard from autistic individuals that 
And I've also recently heard from actual autistic children who have said, are there any other children like me? So that makes me think, would be nice if you knew someone like you, right? Uh, so you guys, what do you have to say about that? You want to go first, Ryan? Sure. Um, I kind of, I don't really like that. I don't feel like you should ever have your kid only hang out within like one type of group. The whole point of getting better as humans in general is that we talk to different people of different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Like, sure, you can maybe throw your child with neurotypicals. What's going to happen when your autistic child has trouble communicating and all these people don't understand what's going on? Because most kids don't really know what autism is. They'll just think the other kid's being a weirdo. And that's not good for anyone's development. Then you feel like you're an outsider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with Ryan. Um, you, should have, you should hang out with all different types of kids from all different types of backgrounds, not just autistic and neurotypical. One of the best things about going to college for me, since we just mentioned that, was I got to meet people from different backgrounds, people who weren't from New York City, people who grew up in farms, people who grew up in conservative households, people who grew up in big families. I was an only child. I got to see different types of people in different types of lives. That's so important to understanding like people who think differently than you, people who had different upbringings. So try to be friends with as many people. I'm a big supporter. When your kid's old enough, let them go away from home if they want. In fact, encourage them to go away from home so they can they can get themselves in a different environment. What I will say is having some autistic friends can help, but it also helps to have neurotypical friends. I remember when I started college, and this is a perfect example, me and Ryan had no social skills, essentially. Even though we both had friends in high school. Ryan had a lot of friends. He had a whole social group, like six, seven, eight people. But none of them had any real quote unquote social skills. So like when we had to like talk to normal people, we came off as weird as hell. And it sucked for me because like I was really like, unlike Ryan, who kind of knew what the score was right away, like my head was up my ass when I started college. Like I really thought I was hot shit. So I had to learn the hard way. Like I had to learn the hard way. Like I couldn't talk to girls at all because I was weird. I couldn't like everyone else just saw me as kind of like, boisterous and annoying and I kind of got away with it because I have a natural sense of comedic timing so when I would blurt random stuff it would kind of come out funny but that's that's something that was not intentional people thought I was being funny on purpose which I wasn't I'm just an idiot who didn't have a filter so I had to sort of have a crash course once I entered college and after college on like how to socialize amongst normal human beings because we both went to a special ed school where almost everyone had some sort of neural neurodivergent traits. So so I would say that you want to have a balance because I would have loved to learn that earlier on. I would have because it sucks when you're learning that in college because they say kids are cruel, high school, uh, high school and college people are even worse. You know how many times I get called a retard? Never to my face. The one thing I like about little kids is they'll call you a retard to your face. Once you get to college, they'll say it behind your back. Like I'd have to hear it from friends of mine that random people would think I'm a retard mm-hmm. and none of them would have the balls just to come up and tell me that, which I found, but that's the part that annoyed me. It's like, you have something to say to me because I'm always someone where if I have something to say to you, I'm going to tell you how I feel about you. Mm-hmm. That's something to say to me, freaking say it. Yeah. So that I so I I know I'm speaking gibberish and I apologize. Try to have a mix. That's all I can really say. What Ryan said. Try to have a mix because if they only hang out with autistic people, 
for example, once they get out into the quote-unquote real world, it's going to be a rough lesson for them. I'm not saying they won't be able to learn it, but it was rough for me having to learn all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, one of those things where parents just, sometimes it's hard for them to even get anyone who has neurotypical kids to go with them at the park. So they end up with only the parents of the students in their classroom um, because other parents can be very cruel. One All thing right. I will add real, real mm -hmm. quick is learn your autistic kid learning quote unquote normal social skills can be a very good thing. It can really help them. They can mimic it at all. If they can walk into a workplace or a club and just pass as somewhat normal, not like the weirdest person in the room, that can save them a lot of anguish and can help lead to job opportunities, for example. My, abil my ability to talk somewhat competently is the reason I'm where I am right now. It's the only, because I'm not good at anything else. It's the only reason is I can sound normal. And, and I think that, you know, that's a really good point, Torin, in terms of, you know, when we talk about our work persona and our personal persona, right? There are certain things that we do, but for an autistic individual, it involves masking and a lot of work to be able to sort of mimic those things. Um, but please don't punish your children if they don't mimic please give them time to learn this skill. It's a high level skill, parents. <laughs> All right. Um, what do you do to control your emotions? Ha, I could read that question several different ways, but. Well, one of the things I have to my advantage is that I'm a dude. So it's considered socially acceptable for men just to rage uncontrollably. Like that's a, like we're allowed to do that. We're not allowed to show things like sadness and we're only allowed to cry if like we're in the military and our buddy's head gets blown up. Like mm -hmm. we're not allowed to have trauma. Like, mm -hmm. but we can rage. We're allowed to rage and the and to suffer from substance abuse. We're allowed to have those two things. So as a dude, I don't actually have to control my emotions. I'm just allowed a certain societal leeway to be self-destructive. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek, but I'm kind of not because mm -hmm. I do struggle with that. I always have. I'm working on it. I'm someone where when I melt down, I just start ranting about everything wrong in my life. And mm -hmm. Ryan will tell you, my friends tell me, I can be really, that can be really rough because I can't control it. Mm -hmm. And I'm someone where when I'm in really unpleasant sensory environments, I'll get very, 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 very ornery. And I've been working this year to remove myself from those environments as much as I can identify when I'm about to get kind of ornery because I can be I can be kind of a bastard and I always have and I hate that about myself but sort of who I am I, I've struggled to control my emotions mm -hmm. and like I said I get away with it a little bit because I'm a dude so I'm allowed to rage I get very angry and it's sort of acceptable to a certain extent but to me it's not so it's always something I'm trying to work on I'm trying to have less meltdowns I'm trying to work on things to control the factors in my life so I can be not more positive because I'm not a naturally positive person, but just to be a little less ornery sometimes, especially when I'm in a bad mood. But that's personally, I, I, that's the best answer I got. I, at 30 years old, I'm still working on it. Obviously, I'm not freaking throat punching walls and throwing bottles at people's heads. Like I have some ability to control myself, but I still yell at people. I still yell at people around me sometimes when I'm mad. I, 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 it's not something I'm proud of, but it's true. I still mm -hmm. can get annoyed very easily by other people's bullshit. I have a very short fuse. 
I get very worked up very quickly. So I, I, I'm still working on this. So if you if you figure out an answer, let me know because I could use it. I know. I always wonder how how come some people have short fuses and some people have really long fuses. Like what what DNA component is responsible for that? Because it it is what it is. You're right. Like some people, your fuse is short. Like it's short. It's short. You didn't do anything to make it short. It's just short. Um, Ryan, what do you do? I think I benefit from having a much longer fuse than the average person. It takes a lot to really get under my skin at a certain point. But a lot of it for me is just like breathing exercises really help. Sometimes you, you got to constantly remind yourself not to get worked up. Got to look at the situation. Like maybe you thought someone was being a jerk, but really they just don't know they're being a jerk. And it's like, no need to yell at them. Like not taking things so personal. That's the big one. Yeah, yes. I take everything personally. That's something I, I've been trying to work on for 10 years and no success. I take everything personally. Like people who've said shit about me 10 years ago, I still like, I'm like, I want to prove them wrong. I want them to come and write me an apology, like handwritten apology for saying that shit about me 10 years ago. Like I remember all of it. It sucks. When's your birthday? Maybe I'm just getting too old, but I don't have time for that anymore. It's like, okay, I know I'm proving them wrong. I don't need them to see it. See, I need to get to that point. I have like that Rain Man memory where I'm not happy unless I get some of these people. Some of these people are dead and I'm still not happy until I get that written apology about like, like the apology form explaining why they talk shit about me 10 years ago. It's so funny. Torin, when is your birthday again? Uh, March, so late March. So I just you're turned in, I turned thirty you're, a few you're months in ago. Aries, right? Yeah. Ah, uh, that's why. Yeah, they don't let it go. They hold on. Aries hold on. They hold when, on. Tight. When is your birthday, Ryan? I can never remember. Is it October or November? November. November? I thought yeah, it was I'm October. Who the hell is in October then? Don't look at me. Jesus, I was I was talking to Stacy earlier. This is completely off topic, but a lot of autistic people can remember birthdays. I can't. I don't remember. I remember Henry's birthday. Our friend Henry, just because we're business partners, and his birthday's in his email. So that's the only reason I can remember. I don't remember my uncle's birthday. Like I don't remember shit. Like I remember. I, I remember two birthdays. Mine and my girlfriend's. That's only because we're the same day. I was gonna say him and his girlfriend not only have the same birthday, they're the same age. Yeah, we were literally, I think, like 13 hours apart, but it was the same day. Yeah, they're like soulmates. So um, my my wonderful homeschool student is the child that when he meets you and, and you, he says, what's your name? And then he'll say, how old are you? And then after you tell him how old you are, he will tell you what year you were born in. And then he will ask you what month you were born in. And then he will tell you how old you are in years, days, and minutes. Yes. Yeah, I, we, I I knew some kids could do that in high school. He does that. Like, that's and a very like, common autistic. What? I can't do any of that. I have yeah. I have terrible memory for that, but I do remember everyone who's ever talked shit about me. For some reason, my memory works great then. I can't remember <laughs> uh, doctor's appointments. I can't remember what I had for lunch today, but I can remember like some chick who said some shit about me five years ago. I keep saying I want, I can't wait till he can work with me. He's the kiddo, and I recognize it. I remember we were, it was, he was like in second grade, and I said, 
I said, oh, wait, I think we read this story. We were choosing a story. And he said, yes, we read that story on February 16th at 4.15 p.m. I was like, oh, so then I look in the chart that tells when we did it, the tracker. I'm like, he's right. We read it on February 18th. And what is it with autistic? This is off topic, I know. What is it with <laughs> autistic people and like that monotone? I know so many autistic people in my life who have like that monotone. Yeah, there's no intonation. Like yeah, there's intonation. no infliction. Like what causes that? Yeah. So intonation Genetics. Is- is part of intonate, well, yes, some genetics, but intonation is the communication language part of the pragmatics, right? And pragmatics is related to social skills. So it's not even recognizing that you shift your tones. They're not even realizing that they're doing it. And there are some folks, this was years ago that I remember some speech therapists, they had some autistic adults were coming to to learn how to do it because it was interfering in their dating. Like they were like, girls think that I'm like weird as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can't do monotone. It's just like people who go, you know, to lose their accent, they go to speech therapy for that as well. So um, uh, yeah, it's interesting. They're just not getting the feedback and they don't realize it. And And I I don't mean to sound mean. It's just some of the people I grew up around who talk Mm -hmm. like that also would say the most effed up things you could imagine. So, like, I've associated the monotone with, like, white supremacy. Ah, <laughs> I'm just being see. honest. So nothing against people with that monotone yep. voice. Just yep. I associate, If I hear it, I just think this mm-hmm. person's a racist. Because I knew several people who spoke like that who were yep. also very racist. So they would say racist stuff. Like, I've been called the N-word in a monotone voice before several yep. times. You know what, Torin, and I'll, I'll go to the next question, but I want to let the listeners know, teachable moment, exactly what you just said, that is what a lot of our kids will do, right? They'll, they'll have this experience and that incident or that word is associated and then they never, like you don't know why they don't want to go in the car down the blue road and it's really because they don't want to go to the store where there was a loud horn, they made a sound. And then they associate and like, make that connection. When I hear that monotone, I just have an yeah. overwhelming urge to punch that yeah. person in the face. I know you're not yeah. supposed to say that, but it's like, yes. I need to punch you in the face. Yes, yes. Totally get God, it. God, I'm terrible. Right. And we're totally canceled now. Good job, guys. I told you, our goal is to end up, this get canceled so we can end up on Tucker Carlson screaming about how we've been canceled. That's right. I want to go on the most popular news show in America to talk about how no one wants us on their shows. But let's get to the next question. He's going to get canceled for treason. I don't know what we're going to do with Torin. All right, here we go. What is the reason my child laughs for no reason at all in church or at the grocery store? And this is a common question that is in several groups of parents. Oh, that's an easy one. I had the same issue when I was a kid. They feel awkward and Mm -hmm. autistic people don't always know what the appropriate response things are. So, for example, my thing was if I would see something messed up, like I once saw, so I don't remember this. My dad told me about this. I saw someone get hit by a car. I laughed because I didn't know how to respond. When my dad would go on like abusive rants when he'd call me every name in the book and remind me why I'm an awful human being, I would laugh as like a self-defense mechanism when I was a child. And he that would make him more mad because he thought I was laughing at him because you're not supposed to laugh at someone who, who's calling you a scumbag. Mm-hmm. So it's because they feel awkward or uncomfortable. And laughing is sort of, especially if you're in church. Like, I'm not religious, but uh, like my parents were Catholic. So, like, I've spent time. Have you ever been in a Catholic church? That, that's not the fun sermons. They're not like the Pentecostals. Those aren't the fun ones. The freaking, the, you see the dude being crucified on the cross. That's the creepy one. It still creeps me out to this day. So, when you're in that, when you're in that environment, it's dark and every and and has like this this somber atmosphere. It's uncomfortable. So, 
you laugh because that's the response. That's almost certainly what it is. It's not that's sometimes the case with me. Sometimes it's just because I'm thinking of something funny in my head and I can't oh, that stop too. it. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. me as an adult. It's usually just me laughing at something in my own Oh, head. God. I just laugh randomly in the street. People think I'm crazy because I'll just think of something funny, like, like a funny term, turn of phrase or something and just mm -hmm. start giggling. One of my students called it exactly what you just described, Ryan. He would say, oh, I'm having, I'm, I'm laughing at my imaginings my imaginings. He would call it his imaginings. He would just have things pop up. And then one of my other students, she was older and she would do it like literally in the middle of a math problem. She would just start laughing. And then I would say, are you going to share that story so I can laugh too? And sometimes she would say yes. And sometimes she would say no. And then she would just go back to her math. But um, so hopefully that answers the question in terms of listeners understanding they're not purposefully trying to be inappropriate. And I do understand that parents sometimes feel embarrassed because they don't understand, but that's where your big girl panties, big boy jeans, boots, whatever, and advocating for your kiddo because- well, I do have a question for you though. Also. Mm -hmm. What would you do if let's say your kid's laughing at something really inappropriate, like church, especially if it's like Catholic, like they are about to get this is like the cancel episode. So I'm just saying all sorts of mess up. Like Catholics, they really take that shit seriously. Yeah. Like they so think like they like they get mad. Like they want you to be like they want you to be sad and miserable. Yes. And then they wonder why they all feel conservative. Um, they want you to be sad and miserable. At, yes. Like so like there's no fun in any of it. Or like, let's say, let's say you're at a funeral and you start laughing, which yeah, happened very, to me. That happened to me. I thought it was something funny at a funeral yes. and everyone looked at me like I was a scumbag. What do what do you do? Because you can't just like ignore it because mm -hmm. everyone is sort of looking at you like why the like it's a you like grandpa's dead. He's he's in, he, he's about to go six feet under. Why is why is your son laughing? Mm -hmm. Like what do you do in those situations as a parent? I will tell you exactly what they should do because this was actually. A question today um, someone posted on the group. Um, so my initial answer is, um, you know, I have a problem with a church not understanding a child. Okay, so I just, I'm just going to go there first. Um, those of you who are involved in your church, the church should be understanding and there should be accommodations, whatever that looks like. It's right? a church. Yeah, it's a church. So this is what I, this is my response to a mom who said her child was laughing in church and she said, you know, I don't know what to do. And somebody said, stop going to church. And, you know, other people saying other things. And I yeah, said, that's what I would have said too. Even that's the wrong I said, answer. I would have said that too. Exactly. And I'm not saying that children should be allowed to disrupt everyone's church service. That's not what I'm saying. So I spoke, my response to her hey. was, have you considered teaching the church about acceptance? Families should not have to avoid church and churches need to be more accommodating. I believe that God loves all, not just the quiet children. So my- It just depends on, on the church thing. though. That's the thing. Like, and I'm not saying this to, to take the yeah. piss. Some churches are really effing bigoted. Like, it's just true. Like there's a lot yes. of like evangelical churches that you have to do things a certain way and anything yes. that deviates from this is wrong. Yes. 
And exactly. a lot, not all churches, not all religions. No, no. But a and certain sects are like that. Yes. Certain churches are like that. And then there's just nothing you can do about it. Like, no, there leave. is a lot that, yes, there is, except to leave. And you make a choice. And I've had several parents that have left their church that was not willing to accommodate because that is not what it's supposed to be. However, <laughs> I also encourage, and some churches have done this, just like we used to have, some of the churches used to have a long time ago, these little areas for, they were like the overflow quiet areas, but you know, it may have been, you know, for people who had a wheelchair and had equipment and whatever, but it was mostly used a lot for moms who had babies that were nursing, or they didn't want their babies to disrupt the service. So they would sit in the room that was kind of quiet and soundproof, but it was all glass and they were still part of the large service. So those are things where we need to make those. We can, I always think, you can make a sensory room, right, with a glass so that parents can participate, their child can have their sensory, everyone gets a win-win, or some churches are really good about doing Sunday school or whatever it is that kids go to while their parents are sitting. The, the thing is, you either leave, you accommodate, or you, and you always advocate. That is my answer, and I want to get to, have two more questions, but one of them I really want to get to, it's kind of heavy. I'm not sure what our time zone. We're, no, we're, we're good on time because okay. you, you have till four, right? Okay. Yes. So we're good on time. One thing I want to add just, just mm -hmm. real quick. I'm yes. not against religion. I'm not against churches. It can actually yeah. be a great place to build community, especially yes. for autistic children. I just want to make it just needs to be the right place. It's very accepting. Yes. And I apologize for taking the piss. It's just over the last few months, I've listened to a lot of, in particular, Christians say mm -hmm. a lot of really unchrist like shit on social yeah. media and yes. in and on the news. So I'm a little bit bitter. So I apologize. Yeah. No, 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 I get it. I get it. We have a lot of stuff going on in the States. That's, that's really not so nice under the name of the Bible. Um, and I agree church should be community. It should be a place where you should be embraced. And if it's not, either they need to change or you need to choose a different church community. Um, so with that said, and, and, and I know we just talked about the church, but I know a lot of times it happens in the grocery store and parents feel uncomfortable. Um, but you know, I, I mean, I did a webinar the other day and, and I'm going to keep saying this every time I talk to parents, you have to find your place in the journey for you to accept and not let other people make you feel like there's something wrong or you're a bad parent. You've got to get to that point because if you don't, you're not modeling that and your child can feel that. They can feel that. And, and I don't understand. I mean, it's amazing me today. You wouldn't believe what people, not even related to, you know, parenting an autistic child. It's amazing how many strangers come up to you and tell you what to do with your children unsolicited. Like, I don't even know who thought that was okay, but it happens all the time, right? All right, here we go. Someone's question um, is, I'm going to read it exactly like they wrote it. Can you explain your mental awareness during your adolescence pertaining to processing emotional and communication um because they must have maybe gone to that uh adolescent puberty and and maybe that's where this is coming from but they'd like to know during that i'm assuming the question is is asking during adolescence do you remember the process of that, you know, emotional discombobulation and struggling to communicate or what was really difficult? And I guess it says, when you look back, can you remember what was helpful and what was not? There's two parts. Okay. Ooh, uh, I guess I'll yes, start it off. It. Um, 
<laughs> this is one of those questions where I mentioned at the very beginning of the episode, mine and Ryan's experience differ. My experience is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. If I think of my adolescence, I remember being very miserable. I, 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 had, I had a rough childhood, so I was very depressed. I was on a lot of different meds. Like, I hated my living circumstances. I did not get along with my father. And the first chance I got, I, I had to get out of the house after I graduated high school, I did. But that was, I graduated a year late. So I was 19 when I graduated high school. So pretty much my entire adolescence, I was stuck with a man who wasn't a very nice person. So most of my adolescence was, I had no trouble communicating how much I hated him. And he had no trouble communicating how much he hated me. So communication mm-hmm. wasn't the issue. But in terms of emotional regulation, it was non-existent. Because I was living with somebody who was just a sack of shit. Mm-hmm. And neither of and he didn't have any emotional regulation skills, neither did I. So it was a whole bunch of screaming, lots of death threats, cops call multiple times, yada yada yada. It's typical, like shitty broken home type stuff. So for me, it wasn't really a typical puberty. It was more mm-hmm. of a trying to survive and counting down the days till I graduated high school. Cause I knew by the time I was 13, I was getting the fuck out of there. Everything mm-hmm. I did from about the age of 13 on, like I had hygiene issues. I learned how to take a shower. I learned social skills. I learned all that because I figured out if I didn't know, if I didn't learn any of that, I would never get out. I would never get away from that man. So my situation is different. I had to learn stuff out of necessity more than just wanting to improve myself. I could not stay there. I would have killed that man. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm sorry to get really dark, but that's, that's just the truth. So Ryan, uh, give us more of a normal person, normal autistic puberty exp- experience that doesn't involve like domestic abuse. Well, falling back to high school. Ryan's like, I gotta follow that shit. Fuck well, you. I did have friends, but I do remember getting bullied a lot. Because back in that day, they threw anybody who wasn't the least bit normal into the same kind of special ed cocktail. So, like, half the kids could pass as totally normal, and they hated being there, and they kind of took that out on the ones who look like they should belong there. So that was always fun dealing with that shit. There was a lot of physical and mental, like, bullying going on. Teachers being absolutely useless. Man, we're really scaring the shit out of these parents right now. Um, Hopefully it's not as bad for your child, as long as they have supports, as long as they're not in a school where they're not being mercilessly bullied as long as you're just a decent parent and a decent human being. They should be fine. Yeah, they're going to get mad. They're going to get grumpy. They're going to be like, I hate you and slam doors and shit. Every teenager does that. There's no way around it. it you know you know, for like 10 years that's going to come and it comes for everybody, especially if you have a dude. Like, because dudes are especially because autistic dudes once we hit puberty, we start, like, once those hormones start, I can't speak for females, once those hormones start kicking in, you have this yeah. thing where suddenly, like, your biological urges don't match up to, like, your mental stuff. Because we're sort of, we start being, because that's when the socialization, what it means to, like, be a dude, mm-hmm. really starts to kick in. So there's a lot of angst between that. There's a lot of angst between, like, you suddenly start being in the girls or dudes or whatever, and yep. you don't have the social skills to like talk to girls or dudes yeah. or whoever, and you get a lot of angst from that. 
So, yeah. and I, I dealt with all that too, but all of that was sort of in the background because of the shitty living circumstances I was in. But I still kind of felt, I still kind of dealt with some of that. I started developing interest in girls later in life. And I, I would say, I wouldn't say later in life, I was like 16, 17, which is later than most people. And up until that point, my dad, who was just a rampant homophobe, was just scared <laughs> that I was gay. Ah. Uh, and was like, begging me to talk to girls. He, at one point, he tried to set me up with like some 28-year-old counselor. That's a story for another day. But Jesus I, Christ. Yeah, I, I dealt with all of that. I dealt with a lot of that stuff that a lot of the normal teenagers do. Not as much the bullying. Bullying was when I was younger. By the time I was 13, I kind of dealt with coping mechanisms for the bullying. Basically, mm-hmm. I was a big kid. I figured out no one actually wanted to fight me. And yeah. I'm good at talking. I'm good at shit talking. Mm-hmm. And I understood how to use like an audience. If I could embarrass somebody in front of an audience, they were less likely to hit you because it made them look like a bitch. So I didn't really deal with bullying per se as a teenager, but I dealt with a lot of the basic stuff. Mm -hmm. I do want to say, like, every day is different. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad. Just kind of of take it one day at a time. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, sometimes things are going to suck, but, like, it's it's not forever. Ryan, when you have days when you were adolescent, um, and I'm only asking you this because you had your um, uh, your parents were there during your adolescence. Do you remember going to your parents for support, or did you work it out yourself as an adolescent, like teenager? Sometimes I talked to them, but it got to a point where I didn't feel like it was helpful because mm-hmm. they'd always just say the same old stuff. So I just mm-hmm. kind of talked to friends or internalized it mostly, which is not healthy at all. <laughs> never internalize your emotions you got to get it out somewhere whether it's a friend a journal like maybe even a journal chicks dig that though that sort of like internalizing stuff like especially for young men they might see that because i've never seen me someone when I've, I've been so outwardly when i was younger i would see dudes who just didn't process their emotion they just bottled up and women would just fall for these dudes and be shocked when like they were a flaming dumpster fire like they mm-hmm. they they'd reject me for these dudes and like at a certain point I'm like, is it because I'm too honest about how I feel? So, yes, you're not. A, they want to. Yes, fix yes. Some, some some women some women want to fix her upper. They want to fix her upper. They don't they don't want somebody who doesn't need a fixing. That they want fixer uppers. So yeah, don't bottle it up even if in the short term. Don't teach your kids to bottle up even in the short term for dudes that can seem like a more successful way of getting chicks. Don't do it because it, it's not good. No, it's not healthy at all. All right. We have our final question. We have time. Yeah, we're good on time. Yeah. All right. The final question is my question. Oh, boy. <laughs> question. I have a question. All right. I'm going to say a sentence and I guess fill in the blank. I don't really know how else to say it. All right. This is um, like Cards Against Humanity. What? Is that a game? You've never heard of Cards Against Humanity? Ryan, you've heard of Cards Against Humanity, right? I've played it. Yeah, so that's what this reminds me of, Cards Against Humanity. Basically, they give you, you have like a, the idea is to be inappropriately funny. So you'll get like a prompt Mm -hmm. that will say something, fill in the blank, and then you have to put down the most effed up, you have a random card to random responses, and you have to put like the most fucked up response you can think of, like amongst the cards that you have. Got it, got it. All right, so um, as an autistic individual, Sometimes I get really frustrated that I can't, but as an autistic individual, I appreciate that because I'm autistic, I can. 
That's a long ass sentence. Well, you just have to fill in the blank of can and can't, right? I'll go first. I'll go first unless you want to, Ryan. No, no, no. You go. I'm still processing. (laughs) As an autistic individual, one of the things I can't stand the most is probably off the top of my head social skills. Mm -hmm. My social skills are okay i can get by but i hang out with people who are like movers and shakers like we all know people you're one of those people stacy one of those people where the world kind of bends around them i've always wanted to be one of those people because that's how you make things happen especially when you don't come from money when you don't come from privilege when you don't when your parents don't have influences when you come from a pair of mentally ill junkies as parents you need to be able to bend the world around you and i don't always have that ability and socially i don't it's cost me good paying jobs like i've always, like i could never work in sales even though i wanted to because i like the competitiveness just because you need to have social skills so mm-hmm. i wish my so i wish i had like top-notch sort of social skills people who can talk to anybody the people who can, people who couldn't go to a bar and make a connection for example I have I have friends that they walk in the bars and suddenly they know they they they, they know people who know people like, so that's something I like. But if I wasn't autistic, I wouldn't be able to. I've got how you word sentence. But one of the things I'm grateful for is if I wasn't autistic, I wouldn't have never made it out of the neighborhood that I grew up in because no one made it off my block. I think I've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. No one made it off my block. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're all the kids I grew up with are still there. Most of them didn't finish high school. None of them went to college. And the reason I was able to is I was in special ed. So I didn't go to the normal public schools. New York City public schools are a disaster. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I got great education. Me and Ryan didn't, but it gave me, I left the neighborhood to go to school. It gave me a different exposure. I met people like Ryan. Ryan lives in different, New York City is huge. Ryan lives in a different part of the city. Mm-hmm. Ryan grew up in an upper middle class part. I grew up in the projects. We would have never met otherwise. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of segregate, financial segregation going on in a place like NYC. And the, our high school is a good estuary of people with different economic backgrounds and different races. So if I if I didn't have autism, I wouldn't have gone to that school. And even though, like I said, the education sucked, it gave me exposure to people. If I didn't have autism, I don't think I would have had like the laser focus and the sort of machine-like determination to overcome my circumstances. Because like mm-hmm. I said, no one else on the block really did. Everyone I grew up with grew up in similar circumstances to me. And it's not a knock on them. Most of them didn't make it. Most of them were on the block. They work in the neighborhood or they sell dope. A lot of them sell dope. Like, it's tough a lot. They, they don't make it. So mm-hmm. if it wasn't for autism, I wouldn't have made it either. My dad didn't make it. No, like, I, w- I wouldn't have made it, plain and simple. That's it. Ryan? Well, mine is very similar. Like, if I didn't have autism, I never would have had the life I had. I never would have gone to it. As much as I like to rant about our crappy special ed school, it's far better than the public school that I was at before it. Which is not a compliment to school. It's just an indictment of public school. Exactly. (laughs) But I also never would have had the tunnel vision focus to basically spite everyone who didn't think I could do what I did. I probably never would have tried so hard to get my career considering every obstacle I've had along the way. Exactly. Your special interest turned into a career. Like we talked about that a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know how we have, we've never mentioned this before, but Ryan has always been in animals. Like that was his thing as long as I've known him. And now he's zookeeper. Like 
his special interest literally turned into a career. Mm-hmm. And and it it should. Everyone's special interest should turn into a career. Um, that's how people maintain jobs with their and their mental health at the same time. I'm not saying that I don't know that people have to do certain things to take care of their family. I know that we can't all just get a job and be happy. I get it. I get it. I get it. But we should sure try. We can try. We can I try. have a question for you, Stacey, before we go. Oh, I saw something. I forget who posted. Someone on Instagram posted it. And they were talking about how a lot of parents can feel discouraged because it they have everyone has dreams for their kids doctors mm-hmm. lawyers getting finding a husband finding a wife starting a family grandkids yada, yada yada and at three four five six or seven you might see zero signs in your kid that they'll ever do anything besides just like cry and constantly need your attention mm-hmm. what would you say to those parents who are who might see someone like me or Ryan and get frustrated because this does happen. They get mm-hmm. a little frustrated. I'm not saying the bad people, they get a little frustrated. They say, well, yes. they're not like my kid. What would yes. you say to those, what would you say to sort of comfort those parents who are worried their kid is going to be reliant on them for the rest of their lives? And when mm-hmm. they're gone, who's going to take care of them? What do you say to those parents? Um, that's a really good question. Um, so one of the things I do say to parents Um, And it's actually one of your quotes from the first time that we had that event with parents. And I said, and I tell them, I will always remember when Torin said, keep in mind, the child you have today is not the adult you will have years from now, right? Now you've got to do the work, but the child you have today is not going to be. Um, But to parents who feel like you said, and there's a lot of that on social media, right? Well, you know, you're not like my child and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And my, my immediate response is no one should want their child to be like any other child. You shouldn't want one sibling to be like the other sibling, right? Everyone is their own person. Secondly, um, I truly believe with all my heart and some professional knowledge thrown in there, that a lot of um, children, adults, teens who are home or not able or are not doing um, is simply because they were not provided with the right supports from the very beginning and they have not been provided with the right supports to the end. I'm not saying that everybody's gonna go to college. I'm not saying that everybody is going to work outside the home. I am saying that everybody, including your child to those parents, has some purpose and wants to get up for something. So we need to do our due diligence to make sure that we provide them with communication, sensory safe environment, understand what their needs are so they can do what it is that they do well. Um, and, And we find out how that fits into it. So, you know, one of the things I don't have control over that I cannot change is parents' perception when they get pregnant and they have a child. Um, Everybody goes into parenting with different goals. Everybody has children for different reasons. And I I feel like sometimes it's dangerous when parents have a list of expectations of what they think their children are going to do. And we've all heard it. I've heard people get pregnant and they find out they're going to have a girl and the first thing out of their mouth, 
oh my gosh, I can't wait to plan a wedding. And I look at them and say, how do you know she wants to get married or even have a wedding? You've already planned and set yourself up for disappointment. You've already done it because now you have an expectation. So if you have this daughter who either doesn't get married or chooses not to have a wedding, it's going to be disappointing to you because you have set the bar based on what you want for your child. And I think it's hard for a lot of parents in some cultures, they dictate what their parents are supposed to do. I respect that. But when we have expectations of what we want other people to do, and this is life in general, but especially of parents, when it comes to parenting, you're going to be disappointed because at some point your child becomes an We need to put that on a t-shirt. At some point, you're going as a to parent, you're going to be disappointed. That's like one of those like E-rot, those, those rotten e-cards that you yes. see on Facebook that have like yes. a happy picture and then some F like that's what we need to yes. do. Exactly. And and I know that parents feel, you know, everyone has their different perspective, right? I have friends and we have different perspectives on parenting. And some will say, yeah, you know, you know, my dad pushed, you know, me and, and, you know, look, see, he was a doctor and see, I'm a doctor and, you know, and, and I'm successful. And I look at them and I say, yes, you are successful and you have a big house and you have this, whatever. You're also miserable. You're miserable every day. (laughs) You hate your job every day. You don't like being a parent, right? So what's the trade-off? Right. It's that, exactly. Um, My dad said I was a worthless sack of shit and I turned out okay. I mean, I have like a whole litany of mental issues, judging by just the stuff I've said on this episode alone, but I turned out okay. Just because some, just because you turned out okay with subpar parenting doesn't mean that that's okay. Yeah. And, and I think to just wrap up the question is, you know, parents have to give themselves a little grace and they definitely need to give their kids a lot of grace. Um, But we have to step outside of ourselves and we have to realize that each of our children is different. And we also have to recognize that getting caught in comparison can be very dangerous because then you are constantly reaching for something, but you're not looking at your child and what your child can do. Um, Because I haven't met a kid yet that couldn't do a lot, right? Maybe not some of the things they wanted them to do, but look at all the stuff they can do. Also, parents tend to live vicariously to their children. Oh, yes, yes. And, you know, that is probably where my perspective varies because I am one of those parents who does not. And not only do I not live vicariously through my children, I have specifically communicated this to my children when they have chosen not to do the work they needed to do. And I tell them, fine with me. If you want to go to sixth grade twice, I do not live vicariously through you. And I have already finished sixth grade and more. So if you want to graduate with your brother, I only have to throw one party. It does not impact my life. by anything. <laughs> Not at all. I'm done. So I am not that parent who may be the typical parent that, um, I'm just not because I do think that we we teach our children, we guide our children. I'm not saying we can't help our children and guide our children. And I'm not saying we don't know things better at times, but I do think we just have to give our children the skill set to go out and make their choices. And it looks different for everyone. And we should not compare. That just makes it it's so dangerous to keep comparing. 
other people's lives, even to your own. People do it on social media. You guys know it. Oh my gosh, look, they're going. Honey, why aren't we going? Really? Don't compare to other people. It just is a a way to get frustrated. Um, So my, 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 my unprofessional answer is Parents, which have to, it's not about us. It's really not about us. It's not about us. <laughs> it's about the kids and what they like and what they can do and work with what they have and give them a method of communication that works for them, whatever that is. Well, all right. Um, I think that's a great place to yeah. end it. Uh, yes. That was fun. And Stacy, that's why we're working to shift the narrative on everything autism. See ya.